0: From breaking news to local stories happening where you live, this is the Jill Bennett Show podcast. Everyone who wants to have a child should have the opportunity to do so. However, infertility and other barriers can pose challenges. In vitro fertilization, or IVF, is one option, but it can be expensive. People who want to start a family should be able to, regardless of the relationship status, who they love, or how much money they make. (laughs) Starting on April 1st of next year, one cycle of IVF will be free in British Columbia that was Finance Minister Katrina Conroy delivering the budget yesterday and announcing BC is joining Ontario, Manitoba and Quebec in funding in vitro fertilization treatments. And that means, as you heard there, starting in April of 2025, the province will fully fund one round of the treatments for British Columbians. So what does this mean and how might this help out? Well, Dr. Neve Talon joins me now, infertility and egg freezing specialist at the Olive Fertility Center. Center. Dr. Talon thank you so much for being with us. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Uh, what is your response when you heard that BC is going this route, following what the other provinces are doing and going to be providing this funding?
1: So I do think it's such a positive statement, and it feels like a very remarkable and celebratory time, um, given the sentiments that were expressed. I live and breathe the the belief that all individuals should have a right to family. Um, So certainly um, very welcomed statements. I would say we're as like a a leader in in provision of fertility care in BC. It's a little shocking that this was the first time we'd actually heard of uh, the plan. And I know, you know, we heard the, the, Uh, sentiments that there will be an expert panel and contribution to um, make plans for the beginning of rolling out the funding in April of 2025. Um, But as you know, lots of stakeholders to be considered, I'm hoping there will be collaborative discussion and the opportunity to really roll this out wisely, as we've learned a lot from how uh, other provinces have done the same.
0: Right, because it doesn't seem like there are a ton of details, uh, again, that one round would be funded uh, to help people. And uh, this is a program, I think the finance minister said, uh, the estimation it, is a, it will cost about $34 million a year, won't be means tested, but will we'll cover both the treatment and medication for a single cycle. What kind of a, what kind of a cost would we be talking about for that single cycle?
1: So, well, that's what we're not sure of how they plan to actually meet that. Um, in, by our estimates, you could easily use all of that funding within six months of uh, the first year to come. So if we look at what happened in Quebec, um, once you, um, you know, have no financial barriers, which is the ideal, you have broader access to a much greater population of people, more diverse population you're going to see more unemployed individuals accessing treatment which is great Uh, no salary means um, testing to get in to do treatment but what they saw over the five-year experience of having rolled this out in Quebec was an average of 10,000 cycles per year were needed to meet the demand and so our present infrastructure is not in place to really support this as yet I think this um, information being rolled out with like a very clear idea of who the patients are that are going to be eligible. Will they have had to have failed alternate treatments before access to IVF? Will um, all aspects of recommended treatment be covered for them and subsequent frozen embryo transfer cycles? Um, Right now in Quebec, They don't allow access for poorer prognosis patients, so you have to be 41 or younger to start treatment. Um, And the vast majority of our patients who need IVF right now are of advanced age, and really waiting a year to hear the details could be detrimental for their overall success long-term with any fertility treatment. Um, As you can imagine, this is a very sensitive topic and anxiety provoking for those who really want a family and so this could be really excruciating this time of waiting for these details Um, so it is a little disappointing in terms of how it has uh, been announced.
0: And like you said, waiting for those details because those are important details. If if this does follow what Quebec is doing and it's forty-one or younger, uh, I would like you just said that's going to exclude a, a pretty big number or or at least a, a number of people that a number of women that want this treatment. Is there a cap as it stands? If somebody, uh, as people pay for this and pay a lot of money for these treatments, is there a, a an absolute cap on the age, or is it left up to the patient? Yes.
1: No, there is. So um, really, we know from the science that if you do IVF over the age of 45 years um, with your own eggs at that age, your probability of bringing home a baby is the same had you been trying on your own. So there's no advantage to using assisted reproductive technologies. Really, then we're offering donor egg IVF. We're looking at the eggs of a younger woman or potentially if you've frozen your younger eggs earlier, you could consider using them at that time. Um, uh, we'll facilitate um, getting someone pregnant up to the age of 50 years of age with donor eggs, okay um, and that's kind of understood across the country as the the broad cutoff. However, um, multiple places across the country that do have funding do not offer treatment to women up to that age of 45 years like many have a cutoff at 43 and in in funded programs under the age of 41
0: so even with not without knowing the details of what is being rolled out in bc it would seem strange wouldn't it if it went in a completely different direction or if it didn't perhaps follow some of the guidelines or what's in place in other areas
1: i would be surprised like you have to be judicious in how you distribute those funds and you want to have at least a reasonable probability of pregnancy for those that are going through treatment. So my initial feeling was the the announcement really was so exciting to hear. It didn't matter what relationship status, if you were a single woman, if you were same sex, you're going to have a right to family. I'm not really sure that the details will pan out exactly like that. Um, One of the pieces that I really am worried about is, For these people now waiting and potentially delaying in this year, I would really encourage patients who are unsure about their fertility status to still reach out to their fertility doctors and work out what it means a delay would mean for them. Um, Really, that's what they should be doing at this time. I would call also for the province to look very closely at the existing infrastructure that exists within the hospital system. So, As it stands right now, um, MSP covers for consultation with a fertility doctor and for the workup, uh, the tests that are needed. Unfortunately, and more profoundly since COVID, um, there has been a deprioritization in accessing some of the tests through radiology and clinics in the Lower Mainland where women are calling month after month, desperately trying to access assessments to make a diagnosis of whether or they not whether or not they have tubal or uterine disease. and these tests are meant to be covered and supported for by MSP. We have patients who are waiting four or five, six months to access this test and are looking for alternatives and will, willing to pay privately because they, there is no other alternative. Well, that's with our present volume (laughs) right now. Now, if we open the gates to access to everyone, we need to have a full rounded idea of how we're going to support these patients accessing the assessments, let alone consultation with doctors um, and a plan for treatment.
0: Hmm. Uh, my guest is Dr. Neve Talon, uh, infertility and egg freezing specialist with the Olive Fertility Center. Uh, Dr. Talon, I'm curious as well, with the funding of one round of IVF, how often, do we know how often one round is successful and that's all it takes?
1: So it depends on age. If someone comes to us with an abundance of eggs and they're all excellent quality, Not every egg makes it to an embryo, so you need a contingency of many. That's really where IVF success comes from, is having many eggs and embryos to work through. And there's nothing we can do to make an embryo genetically normal or capable of bringing a pregnancy. So it really is in the numbers where the success lies. So if we have older women coming to us with fewer eggs, and a poorer quality, they need more attempts, more eggs, more rounds of treatment to get to the right embryo to bring a pregnancy. So again, for those patients over 38 years of age, the vast majority are doing two, three, maybe more rounds of IVF to even get to the point of finding an appropriate embryo for a baby. So time is really of the essence for women over 38 and older to really consider what it would mean to delay um, access to treatment.
0: And and could that raise an issue as well, that if there is one round funded and it doesn't work, uh, then it's leaving people with, yes, they, they tried and they gave it a shot, but it doesn't mean that their desire to uh, get pregnant is going to be any different. And then they're in the position where, yes, not. but what do they do at that point?
1: Correct. I agree with that. I mean, um, I do I do applaud that, you know, this issue is being put front and central. And finally, there is an acknowledgement of the importance of fertility and the desire for wanting to have a family. So there's no question that this is valuable. At least a try is better than nothing. Um, but I don't think it's going to necessarily bring a child or a family to everyone.
0: Dr. Talon, thank you so much for joining us and talking more about this today. I really appreciate your perspective on this.
1: My pleasure. Have a good
2: afternoon.
0: Well, not the holiday some Lynx passengers were planning, especially those that are already at their destination and hearing the news that Lynx Air will cease operations on Monday as it has filed for creditor protection. Here's actually a Lynx Air employee who spoke earlier today.
3: I think it just shows how competitive... um, you have to be in this country here. Um, for our, a strong company like Lynx, our performance was phenomenal, and to see them go down is, you know, testament to how you know powerful the airline has to be to operate. In-
0: that was William Kidd, a Lynx employee, although I guess we could say former Lynx employee almost, speaking with Global News earlier today. And we also heard from passengers at YVR. These were passengers who are Lynx passengers now wondering what they're going to do next. Well, you know, definitely shocked. Um, I was I was very surprised when they brought this upon us. You know, we just learned on the train on our way here. Um, it was very, very shocking.
3: My dad texted me on the train. He yeah. said, looks like Lynx is going down. Yeah. I said, hopefully not
0: before tonight. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's bring in Claire Newell, president and founder of Travel Best Bets, to get her take on this and some advice on what people should do if they have tickets for future dates. Claire, thank you so much for being here again. Oh,
2: my pleasure, Jill. Um, this is a sad story of another airline heading to the graveyard that's filled with lots of names, Jill, um, that, you know, since I've been in the industry and it's been decades um lynx greyhound CanJet, Jetsco, Canada canva 3000 royal i mean i could keep going um, but lynx air which actually launched in november of 2021 as this you know ultra low cost carrier here in canada um, with their inaugural flight in april of 2022 so they've been operating for the past two years is now ceasing operation. So yes, it is a sad story, but this is not unexpected in the travel industry here in Canada.
0: No, I I guess not. But again, sad, especially for anybody that had tickets and was planning to fly on Lynx. I know in in the court filing, uh, the company saying it couldn't repay its loans and uh, that uh, they barely had enough cash to operate day by day. Uh, Any surprise there, though, that that they even went into that business and, and went forward with forward with that business model in the current travel landscape? Well, it was just after the restrictions eased after
2: COVID. And, you know, they did cite things like rising operating costs and high fuel prices and exchange rates and increasing airport charges and a difficult economy and regulatory environment. The reality is, though, when you come in as an ultra low cost carrier coming against the big Canadian aviation carriers and promising to make air travel accessible to all Canadians and putting out fares to many destinations that were Absolutely unsustainable, and I've been saying it for years that they've been un, um, not sustainable. I mean, we're talking about Vancouver to Toronto for like ninety nine dollars each way. Well, there's absolutely no way that you can keep operating like that. the The costs of running an airline are far, far greater. You need um, so much more than that. And they were obviously trying to carve out uh, their market share, but against the fat, uh, the, the other companies that kind of came out and emerged after COVID, like Porter, Lynx, Canada Jetline, and Flair, there was just far too many in the domestic market. And they they did have nine Boeing 737 MAX 8s in their fleet. And they were going to 23 destinations all across Canada, as well as into the U.S., uh, places like Tampa, Phoenix, San Francisco. And actually, just last week, they added a flight to Cancun. So for the people, there's a lot of people affected, you know, that are now going to be, scrambling to try and get um, their flights home, in many cases, because they may be in destinations. So this is an opportunity for some of the other airlines to come to the table. I know WestJet already has. They're allowing people within a certain window to do, uh, to do repatriation flights for those transporter and sun destinations. Those are the ones that will be returning before February the 29th, which is next Thursday. So keep that in mind. You can go to the WestJet website. There's more details on that, but it has to be booked. They're capping the amount at 250 plus taxes and fees on all those um, northbound economy cabin fares that are on the nonstop routes previously serviced by Lynx. They are also coming to the table with all travel at 25% discounts if you use our code, which is WestJet. Again, it's all the details are on their website, but those also will be for the nonstop WestJet routes previously serviced by Link, So it's not across the board. You're not going to get a 25% discount wherever you want to travel. It's for travel between February the 22nd and October 26th, which is when some flights were still coming back um, from, from the Link. So people were booked into those. And those bookings, again, have to be made by February 29th, which is next Thursday.
0: All right, that is uh, a bit of good news, I think, for people who are caught up in this. Uh, There also seemed to be some confusion with the news being that the shutdown would be as of Monday. But I know uh, Global News was talking to people at YVR. People have been talking uh, at Pearson in Toronto and and people saying that they're already stranded. Um, That's interesting. So what
2: this... um likely is is that there are people in certain destinations that won't be serviced in their regular schedule so their last flight will be at 1201 mountain time on monday february the 26th which is really kind of sunday evening if if, if you you catch what we're doing so um there may be what they're trying to do is get as many as they can back before then and they're working with um, people who are in destination to try and get them back they'll also might have crew need to get back as well so that's why they're continuing operations for a little while but there there will be people who will be in destination now not everyone is going to be able to be handled by links and get on flight so i know that um passengers with existing bookings and if they're at destination they're advised to contact their credit card company to secure refunds for that pre-book travel they're Likely not getting that money back from links. They don't have the funds. They were using that money for operations. So make sure that you do that for services not rendered. For those who are in destination, the sooner that they get flights back, the cheaper it will be. Um, if WestJet has some space on those returning ones, then obviously that is going to be helpful. But there will be. I hope some other carriers that come to the table, we have not yet heard if Air Canada will, hopefully they will be coming to the table as well um, because they you know, there's only going to be limited numbers of seats on the ones that are that are coming back from those destinations. So a really, really rough situation for a lot of Canadians with existing bookings
0: on Lynx. Oh, yeah. And Claire, when you talk about the fact that, that Lynx came into the market, it was billing itself as a ultra-low-cost airline, a lot of similarities maybe with some of the low-cost airlines that we see in parts of Europe. And, and you mentioned some of the other the other airlines that are still operating. Is there a reason, you think, why, why Lynx couldn't make a go of it, so why Lynx has had to ground its planes but the other ones are, are still operating?
2: Uh, you know, I think that they just um, obviously didn't get the investment lined up that needed to be there. And um, maybe the, the, the management, I of course, have not had access to their books to look at this and what they cited as the rising operational costs, high fuel prices and exchange rates, et cetera. All of that are what other airlines are facing here in Canada as well. Um, the other airlines that kind of came to the table after COVID and it started bigger expansions, one of them had had a, a long history, which was Porter. And so they've made some real strides, and they're um, doing some alliances with some other airlines, like Alaska Airlines and Porter, together. So I just feel like sometimes it's the smallest one that loses out. You know, Flair would be the, the, um, the other ultra-low-cost carrier in this marketplace, and now they will be on a bit more stable ground, Jill now that Lynx is not
0: in the game. All right. And you mentioned too, so looking uh, if people need to look at maybe some of the other airlines and taking uh, advantage of, of the deals and if they they need to still get home or whatnot. I know there was some talk as well of if you booked on a credit card, if you, people were being told to, to contact their credit card companies. Yes. What are you telling people? If somebody has booked a, a ticket for Links uh, that is a ticket for after that airline is going to be grounded, what should they be doing? Yeah,
2: they have actually been told and it's actually on Lynx's website that passengers with existing bookings are advised to contact their credit card companies to secure funds um, for pre-booked travel. And you can get a lot more of information on uh, Lynx's website. There is a Frequently Asked Questions page. So on the homepage, you can just click a FAQ button and, and go into details on that. If you want to go on the trip that you had planned with Lynx that is now not going, the sooner you the book, the better. And I have been advising people for a long time. I probably if you will hear me like a like a broken record, Jill, saying yeah. if you're booking on an ultra low cost carrier, you need to have travel insurance that will protect you if something goes sideways with your airline. And this is a prime example of why. Um, so I know that it's attractive to get the sixty dollars there between you know here like point A and point B, but those types of deals often are with airlines that go out into the marketplace and say they're going on scheduled route six times a week and then they pull back to two and you can't go on those dates or they cancel it all together or in the worst case scenario, something like this happens. So um, a word of caution on that. If you are booking with any any low-cost carrier, it's really important to do that. I know that people are going to have a lot of questions as to what to do with those future tickets, but right now the advice is contact your credit card company. Um, and and it is for services not rendered because it will be like drawing blood from a stone. From links, they will not have the funds to to refund their their um, well, potentially what would have been their upcoming customers.
0: All right, good advice as we see uh, this airline being grounded. Claire, thank you so much for doing this.
2: You know, my pleasure, Joe.
0: Chelsea Handler is a well-known name, comedian, television host, six-time New York Times best-selling author, and the list goes on and on. This is just a little bit from her Netflix special, Revolution.
3: I know I don't have the skills to raise a baby. I have rescued nine dogs in my life. Thank you.
0: I've returned four. Well, Chelsea Handler is coming to Vancouver next month. She is going to be performing at the Queen Elizabeth Theatre at the end of March, but she is joining me on the line now to talk a little bit more about what fans can expect at the show and a few other topics as well. Chelsea Handler, thank you so much for being with us. Oh, hello. Right back to you. Well, it's so exciting that you are coming to Vancouver. I know you're no stranger, and you've spent a lot of time in Vancouver and Whistler. This is all part of your ongoing tour. How is the tour going?
3: The tour is going. I just came from Saskatoon and Winnipeg. So I would like to thank you for those introductions to those <laughs> cities. I told my agents, I'm like, listen, I don't want to leave Canada for any reason during winter time." So book me in only Canadian cities. And so they're like, are you sure? Any Canadian city? And I said, sure, any one of them is fine. I <laughs>
0: cut to, I pull up to Saskatoon a couple of weeks ago and I'm like, what is this? <laughs> what was your first impression? Uh,
3: that I needed a pair of ice skates to get to my hotel room. I mean, it was so cold. I slept in my scarf and my mittens. I slept in mittens, my scarf, and a hat. And I right. like the cold. Like, I love, I mean, I ski... You know, in the buff, I am no stranger to the cold. That was another level. That was like Eskimo stuff.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah, skiing in the buff in Saskatoon might not be the greatest idea health-wise. Uh,
3: right. No, I didn't do that. There's no skiing anyway, because there are no mountains. So you don't even have to worry about that.
0: That is true. Well, that you will, uh, you'll see some mountains. Obviously, you know that when you come to Vancouver, uh, there's so much stuff that you have done and, and kind of looking back at your career. I want to go back a little bit further though. I'm curious. And I often ask comedians this. When did you first realize that you were funny and that you could make people laugh?
3: Oh, probably when I was a little kid. I got a lot of attention for being cute when I was little, but I I didn't like that vibe. I wanted attention for being smart, you know? And I felt like, I think I found that the, the quickest way to have people believe that you're smart is to be funny. So I just was, I just had it, I had that personality from a very early age, because when I was born, I looked around at my family and was like, what is, who's in charge around here? Like, this doesn't seem like a smooth running operation. There were five other children. My parents were like, my dad was a used car dealer. My mother was asleep half the time. I'm like, this doesn't, I I needed to find my own way. I was like, do I have a dowry? Like, how do I upward upwardly mobilize from this family So I kind of got very entrepreneurial and funny at an early age. I started a hard lemonade stand when I was about eight, which meant I like sold tequila, gin, and whiskey at my lemonade stand to children or adults. Like whoever was a buyer, I didn't discriminate. (laughs) Um, And I made a lot of money that way. And then I started a babysitting company when I was 10. I lied and said I was 15, and I ended up spending that entire summer babysitting for a 14-year-old boy. So I am resourceful and I've always had my eye on the fact that there is bigger, there are bigger and better avenues to explore, like keep searching, keep looking and, uh, you know, be vibrantly alive, not just alive.
0: Uh, you've written a lot about uh, some of the things you just mentioned, your family uh, growing up in your books. Uh, people might not know this. Uh, you've written six best best-selling books and uh, again, touching on a lot of those subjects. Uh, have you worked that into this tour as well as far as uh, part of the act being about uh, family in those early years? Uh, Yeah, well, the first half is
3: about my family and growing up and um, me discovering and finding my Pikachu when I was Mm -hmm. around nine years old. And then I have some stories when I get older uh, about some famous people who have been canceled. I have a really good story about Bill Cosby, which not a lot of people can say. I have a great dinner story about having dinner with Woody Allen and Suni Previn and what I said to him and uh, yeah, I have a lot. I, I, my life has been one big adventure. Like I, everything's an adventure to me. So to be able to go on stage and share all these ridiculous stories, I once went to Kenny Buncourt, at the Bush, the famous Bush compound, uh, to meet the former president, um, and I was on three edibles. So I ha- and, and had to look at his artwork. So I have a great story about that too. But yeah, my life has just been. I always find myself in these ridiculous circumstances, and my reactions to these circumstances, I guess, you know, are, are well, they are humorous, so I always turn them into stories. So there is overlap between my books and my stand-up, but I think most of the stuff in my stand-up, I don't have a book about yet.
0: Hmm, interesting. Uh, you you have done all of that as far as writing the best sellers, you have a podcast, the stand up, you've done acting. Is there one of one of the things that you like doing the most? Well, I love my
3: podcast because I'm able to talk to real people. We have real live callers call in for advice. I'm good at giving advice. I always have been a strong kind of big sister vibe to people. And I like that. I care about people and then making the right choices, women, especially, you know, like knowing that you don't have to have a kid or be married to be of value in society, like all this garbage that we've been served up our whole lives. It's really nice to be able to like sit and do something that isn't a vanity project. And, and it's been a huge success. And I love that aspect of things, but you know, I get to live this great life between my stand up, my podcast and books, I'm working on my new book right now, my next book right now, and it just frees me up to, you know, if I want to take the summer off and travel around the world, I get to do that, and if I want to work, I work. So I'm in a really good spot, and I'm very grateful and appreciative of all the hard work I've put into my career, and to have all these fans, you know, show up for me year after year on all these tours I've done. I think I'm enjoying stand-up more than I ever have. So that's a gift in and of itself.
0: <laughs> that's uh, that's amazing. One of the lines in in uh, your book, Life Will Be the Death of Me, or I won't quote it exactly, but it was something along the lines of what you just mentioned. People asking, why don't you have kids? Why haven't you been married? And saying that that kids just wouldn't have been a good use of your time. Do people still ask you those things? Why you didn't do uh, other things with your life, even though you have had this wildly successful life?
3: Um, you know... They don't. I think I've gotten my message across loud and clear (laughs) at this point. I mean, it's pretty public how much I don't want it. Um, But yeah, it's more for other women. Do you know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. at this point, I'm spreading that message for all the other women who feel the way that I do, of which there are millions who don't want to have children, who don't want to be married or tied down to one person for the rest of their life. Like I'm speaking for that group of people because there aren't enough ambassadors to that group of people. We hear about all the great things about having kids and being married. What we don't hear about is the people taking, you know, responsibility for the fact that they might not be good at that. If you ask either one of my dogs or if either one of my dogs could talk, they would endorse the idea of me never parenting a real child you know what I mean like
0: it's a smart decision not a stupid one <laughs> and uh you you talked about the podcast how you get to to talk to real people what annoys you the most about people
3: I, I guess when people don't take your advice or you know if you're telling someone something out of love like I have no skin in the game when half these people are calling in for their problems you know but like I, I'm gonna give you a firm hand and I'm gonna give you like I'm gonna give it to you straight and like you should take that advice and be grateful for it. And I think sometimes when you're honest with people, they they have a hard time accepting that your honesty because it can be, you know, direct or a little bit harsh. But I think honesty is a gift, you know? Like we live in a world where people are just so full of it and lying and and it filters and everything's just a fake, you know? Like I think it is very valuable and to to be truthful to people, especially women to women, you know, what I mean, like, if I see a guy doing something, and I don't even know his girlfriend or his wife, like, I will tell her, like, I'm not going to be one of those women who's like, it's not my place. It's not my business. It isn't your place or isn't your
0: business. But as a woman, I feel like all women are my business. Well, I uh, love your work. And I'm so excited that you're coming to Vancouver at the end of March. Chelsea, is there anything we haven't covered that you wanted to make sure you got across? Oh, just that I love Canada, and thank you for loving me back. (laughs) Well, thank you for coming back. That is Chelsea Handler. She's bringing her tour again to Vancouver at the end of March. Thanks for listening to The Jill Bennett Show podcast. Can't wait for the latest episode to drop? Tune in to The Jill Bennett Show, live from noon till 3 on 980 CKNW. Have a question or comment? Send me an email, jill at cknw.com. Thanks again for listening.